is Jello Chow Chow, the All Jello Show. If you even think of hanging up or leaving the room for a scotch, we will murder you. Now listen, Great Creeperson and the Phantom Eric want to take you on a ride through dark alleys and bright rooms, long stairways, and backstage at the art gallery. If you want to live, you'll don your black gloves and join them for the ride. Hello, everybody. How's it going? Get your J&B ready and put your Fiat's in drive. Because, uh, baby, this is uh, the first episode of Jalo Ciao Ciao. And that's my good Italian. And that will be the end of that, actually. So I'm Creep Creeperson, and I'm here with the Phantom Eric. Yay! Hello! Is that an actual glass of J&B you had there? Um, here's the glass with the ice. But nothing else. I have the J and B right here. I'm gonna okay. crack it open. I'm gonna maybe wait till episode two before I can afford a bottle and of that. Pour it inside. Oh yeah, it sounds. Ju- oh dude, this stuff smells like bad scotch. I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so if yeah. you don't mind me asking. Uh, where did you come up with the name? I know you came up with Jello Chow Chow. Is that like a uh, Japanese variety show for Jello movies? Oh, that's funny. Because like Mr. Chow. <laughs> I think that's Chinese. I don't know. They, you're, yeah, you're, you're a bad Asian racist. You're doing it all wrong. <laughs> I just know they like to tag the uh, the two words with lots of exclamation points at the end. Yeah, Or like in the movie we're going to be talking about tonight, you know, just because you're a lesbian doesn't make you a racist. I said that wrong, but um, I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about? I sure do. Oh, listen to me making noises over here. Sorry it's about that. Me. That was um, iTunes telling me to do stuff. But iTunes tells me to do stuff all the time. But seriously, we're doing a show right now, and I'm really excited about it. So um, why don't you, Mr. Man... Go ahead and um, explain to us what Jalo is. Well, Jalo for the uninitiated, and I include myself in there. I've only seen a handful of these films, but uh, it stems basically from the uh, long history of Italian crime novels and detective novels going back to the 20s and 30s. Uh, there was a company called Mondadori Publishing that put out little yellow-covered books and those were eventually called giallos by the uh, the consuming public. 
and uh, that's basically where we got today with this kind of style of filmmaking. They borrow a lot from these, the same storytelling of these novels, and they also kind of borrow a lot from those uh, Edgar Wallace books in Germany, the Krimi novels. And so that's why you see a lot of German production companies financing these films too. So um, that's basically it in a nutshell. Kind of eventually evolved into its own style with guys like Argento, like we'll see. Uh, started with people like Mario Bava. I don't even know if they called it Giallo Films when he was doing it, but uh, he took a lot of the styles from those books and, and put it into his movies. That would be a good thing to find out because I don't know that either. <laughs> It'd be nice to know when they started actually calling them Giallos and not just... Well, I don't know if you um, have, like, notes. I, I'm, I'm doing, like, Total Pro, and I'm, like, I wrote notes, and I have notes yeah. for tonight, so I'm not just the stupid drunk raging off the seat of my pants. But um, um, I think Argento at least had an inkling of it, because in um, the movie that we're going to be talking about tonight, in, this, in the um, beginning of it, when the guy's at the newspaper stand and he's buying the newspaper from the dude, there's a bunch of um, jolly books and magazines like hanging up in the newsstand. Right. So, and I don't know if that's something that they do in Italy all the time. They just hang smutty novels up. But <laughs> um, at least in this case, they did. So he might have um, been kind of poking his finger around the hole a little bit. But uh, yeah. Not quite inserting it fully. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you know, yeah. this was his first. So, right. yeah, he had to be slow and careful with it. But. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, um, <clears throat> see already. Uh, that's exactly what we're about, you know. Um, if you haven't noticed it, most of the guys in the Jolly are horrible perverts. So, um, I think we're okay right now. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think we're Mr. Rogers level compared to them. Oh my gosh. But yeah, you see a lot of borrowing from uh, people like Baba with the black gloves. Argento's pretty self referential and. Eventually, as he goes on in his career, putting a lot of little humorous jabs at the Giallo style. Well, I think definitely um, tonight, um, like when we're done talking about the movie, I think we need to just talk about Argento as a person and the stuff that he made and did. Because there are rules to um, the Jolly, but then there's also, um, I don't know if you would call them rules or if... Argento was just a hack upon himself, but there are things that are repeated in all of his movies, you know, especially during this time. So um, we should hit those up too. But um, yeah, so what we're going to be doing on the show um, every time we do the show is uh, taking you in and talking a little bit about the films um, of this genre and one thing that i want to say about it is is that there are a lot of them that i've seen but the more and more i look into this there's more and more that i haven't seen and more and more stuff that i don't know so as a total selfish thing to do this show i'm doing this show too just to dig into it more and more because i love the the film so much and like again i'm more of a fan of the super trashy and high fashion and um just over the top nature of these movies um 
but there are some that are more like thrillers, you know, and they're great too, but I just, I really like the super trash. Yeah, I think this one doesn't quite get into that trashy territory. It's, it is still pretty an early, there's an early jelly and a early, uh, or one of the first ones that really fit this style. So it doesn't quite hit that trash level yet, but as we'll see, as we get into the grindy 70s, it's going to get pretty. Yeah, there's, there's little, naughty. there's little tinges of where it's going to go. And I mean, again, mm-hmm. this is 1970 and the heyday of these films are from about 1970 to 75, but then from 75 through the eighties, they got just trashy and dirty and gross. Um, and I say gross in the nicest way possible. So, um, we're going to have a lot of fun doing this show, or at least I'm going to have a lot of fun. I hope Eric has fun too. (laughs) Dragging me along. No, that's the whole, that's the whole reason I'm doing my other show. Uh, just to kind of, educate myself on all the stuff that I've been missing out on and then forcing other people to listen to me ramble about it. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, um, do you want to um, tell us a little bit about the film we're talking about tonight? Uh, sure, I can do that. Uh, this film, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, is director Dario Argento's first film uh, that he did in 1970. It came after a, a short career of him being actually a film critic and then a screenwriter uh, in the 60s. And uh, with uh, this film, he uh, wanted to do a lot of the things that he saw in other people's films that they didn't quite hit the nail, uh, things that he wanted to see in in other films that people were doing or that he was writing for. And so this one said to have been inspired by a novel, The Screaming Mimi, um, but it was uncredited for this film. So I don't know much about that novel. Actually, I don't know anything at all. Um, I actually did a little bit of looking up on it and the film. And to be honest, I can't see exactly where this movie is a takeoff of that. Yeah, outside of maybe, did they steal some character names, I'm guessing, or something like that? I don't know. The only thing I found was that the one of the characters in... Um, a lot of the Jalos, his last name is the same as Sam's last name. Okay. That, that's the only thing I caught like that, but um, yeah. That's it. Screaming Mimi. Screaming Mimi. Well, we'll just say that this was an original idea from Dario Argento. And, no, uh, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're 100% accurate on the show. Yeah. I think we've already established that. But uh, he's a. Uh, yeah, he did a lot of screenwriting. Actually, it was pretty successful with it. He worked with Sergio Leone and uh, did some other uh, work with some notable Italian filmmakers before striking out on his own here in the 19, or in 1970. And uh, this film, like many of the first couple ones that he did, was financed by his dad, who was uh, actually a producer himself in Italy. And uh, That helps. Yeah, definitely helps to have daddy's money. And uh, yeah. also, like I said, he, he had some financing from uh, the West German uh, production companies because of these films sort of taking off their Edgar Wallace, who was like the uh, Shakespeare in Germany, almost with, the, with how popular his novels were. Now, who wrote the Screaming Mimi? Screaming Mimi? Because it wasn't uh, Wallace. It was uh, some other I have it written. Frederick Brown. There you go. Okay. That's it. Yeah, I don't know. Don't know too much about him, but 
was not Edgar Wallace. That's all we know. Yeah. So, um, in this movie, we have Tony Musante as the lead character, Sam. And then uh, the uh, gorgeous Susie Kendall as Julia, who we'll, we'll see possibly in another couple of Yale films. I think she did a couple more. Oh, yeah. And then uh, we've also got the uh, inspector Enrico Mario Salerno. That's totally butchered that. A.K.A. Uh, creep perv beard mustache <laughs> guy. He uh, popularized the John Waters mustache before John Waters. That's like a... It's a cross between a John Waters and a Hitler. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's very accurate. Yeah, don't ask me to say three Italian names in a row. Say three Italian names in a row. <laughs> All right, I'll try it again. Enrico Maria Salerno. Nice. And then uh, Ava Renzi as Monica. Oh, the, my gosh. Uh, damsel in distress at the beginning. Or is she? <laughs> Guessing you have a thing for her? Um, it's weird. There's parts in the movie where she's super cute. And then parts uh-huh. in the movie where I think just the dubbing made her sound like at the end of the movie i was just like ugh. (laughs) (laughs) they they loaded her up with dialogue at the end of the movie most of the lines start with ha 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 ha." that's right yeah so it's never a good thing to do no especially when you have some like butch chick dubbing your voice Butch Brit- was she British or something? I don't know. Just it, it sounds weird. It was like yeah. that, and I'm sure it was like a scary thing. But it, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Continue. That's right. Of course. Um, the uh, film was recently put out by uh, Blue Underground. I don't think it's available anymore. It's out of print. Uh, but that's sort of the uh, the copy that everyone probably knows about or has. Uh, it's also just came out on Blu-ray, I believe within the last month or two by another company. Do you have uh, the Blu-ray? That, yep, that's the one I picked up for, for this show. Um, and when I got it, I was a little sad to see there were no special features or anything, no commentary or anything. There's nothing on it? It's pretty uh, bare bones. It's got, you got the option to listen to the original Italian dialogue with uh, English subtitles or the uh, English dialogue. Oh, that's a bunch of crap. Yeah. I was going to ask you um, about the Blu-ray um because so much of this film is like hidden in shadows and stuff like that and i was just wondering if in the blu-ray does that kind of kill it can you like see the face of the killer and um all that other stuff in the blu-ray with the higher resolution yes uh, surprisingly it's actually um still kind of retains some of its graininess I guess would be the right word to use. Okay. Um, it still kind of looks like you'll, you'll forget that it's a Blu-ray when you're watching it. it really? It has that old, yeah, it's not like VHS quality where it's all kind of washed out and uh, rubbed out. Um, but it's uh, still got some, some kind of that grit on the screen. To rub one out, too, is what you're saying. Yep, right, okay. right, to right. Uh, Ava Renzi. Yep. So are you thinking that the Blue Underground DVD is a better buy because there's extra crap on it? I don't know too much about it. That's the one I was actually seeking seeking out to eventually get, but just the fact that it's out of print has driven up the cost quite a bit. Uh, okay. So unless you really enjoy this movie and you want to see a lot of extra special features, it might... 
not be the best one to go after right now until they hopefully put it back into print. As soon as they hear our episode, I think they will. <laughs> That's rad. <laughs> so, so um, you, oh, go ahead. I was just going to ask if you wanted to take us through the plot. Um, I could take us. Talk? I could take us through the plot. Like a lot of it's me asking a bunch of weird questions. Like one of the things is, did you read? Because um, I know when they filmed this, all of the printing and newspapers and letters they did one in Italian and one in English. Um, was the one you watched? Did it have it in English? The uh, beginning of the film was in English. The uh, newspapers were in English. Uh, later on, when they used that supercomputer to uh, print out uh, the uh, names of the possible suspects, that was all in Italian. Oh, okay. Like all of it? Like even when it said there are 150,000 uh, matches, that was all in yeah, Italian? As far as I remember, that was all oh, wow. Italian. Well, because the movie opens up with um, the trademark killer and the fedora and the black gloves and the black trench coat typing a letter or typing a note. And the note said something like, um, so-and-so, age 18, this street, be there at six. And then it says, there or then or something like it's like about to go into another sentence but it just stops and i was wondering if you read what that said because i it went by kind of quick and i forgot to go back and look at it oh shoot yeah i don't quite remember if it's that's all i caught too was what you pretty much recited well we'll come back to this because there's a there's a question in my head as to why that even happened but i don't want to give everything away because there probably will be spoilers but so anyway so the killer's typing this thing and then um we go into this amazing sequence of um someone taking photos um, from the killer's point of view of this girl walking down the street now this right here is one of the things i love about these movies this chick is wearing like thigh-high boots and a super short dress mm-hmm. so hot that is such a hot look. Like, every woman needs to be doing that again. Like, that was just amazing. But the best part is, as the credits are going by, it says, and um, Mario so-and-so as guest star. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, the guy who's the cat, the artist, with all the cats. Yes. Um, but I just, I cracked up that it says as guest star. Like Right. I don't know if he must have been some kind of a, a name in Italy because when I was looking at the, the back of the, the box on the Blu-ray, he was the, I believe the fourth name listed or the fourth credited person before they got into like the director and producer and all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He's, so he's he must... like in the top four of billing, I think. Uh huh. And he has just a small bit part. He's great though. Um... Oh yeah. He, he makes a movie. <laughs> oh, wait, before we go any further, I guess I forgot to ask if we were going to play the trailer. Oh, Mother Hubbard. This is what happens on first episodes. Yeah, it does. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess I can play it. Do you want me to play it on top of this? How do we do this? Or am I just saying, we'll play the trailer now, and then we'll like that's, leave and come back? That's usually what I do. I kind of do some post-production magic. <laughs> okay, this is us learning how to do the show and doing the show all at the same time. <laughs> so enjoy the trailer for Dario Argento's 1970 classic the bird with the crystal plumage. Oh, 
care to tell me about it, eh? What's that? What happened? I want to know everything you saw and heard. Everything. Monica. Come on now, come on. Take go of me, Annadette Ranieri. She's my wife. Excuse me. Monica, speak to me. What happened? He's untiring her. Monica. Oh. Dear. Who did it? Who? sure they won't try again. You're blackmailing him. And we're back. That was a super great trailer. <laughs> it's pretty gritty. I love that music. <laughs> oh, the music's great. Oh, dude, I found like this. Like, there's like four videos. It's like a, a, like an hour's worth of music. It's like split up into four parts. Yeah. So it's pretty badass. And um, if we're super fancy, it might be even playing underneath right now. I have no idea. Because I seem we... to find that I like listening to myself talk more when I have music playing, so I don't have to listen to it as much. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> if you others? if you enjoy the music that might be playing underneath our very sexy voices right now, that is. Um, you want to go ahead and take the Italian name, sir. The uh, composer. Yeah, Ennio Morricone. There it is. Yes. I don't. He doesn't have three names, so I don't have to uh, worry about it too much. <laughs> I see. Um, this guy is like the legend. He's like the godfather of the Jalo score. And he also did a lot of spaghetti westerns and um, all sorts of stuff. So um, if you've heard Good and Bad and the Ugly, that's Ennio Morricone. Yeah. This guy's like the John Williams of the country that's shaped like a boot. That's right. <laughs> um, one of the other things as we are getting into the plot that I want to talk about is... Um, the the killer is again dressed in all black with the black gloves and everything but it's like patent leather and so it 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 holds the light and reflects the light and and it just it looks great that you could have someone all in black in a dark room and you could see that person amazingly 
Like, that's just one of the beautiful things about this movie and a lot of the movies that copied this style. But again, the question is, why the hell are you in full garb when you're in your hideout in the dark? But, um, <laughs> you know, those are questions you're not supposed to ask. It's just one of those aesthetic things. Yeah. But, yeah, I totally <clears throat> see that in... Uh... A lot of people say that he kind of took this from those uh, earlier Baba films from the 60s, but with Baba, they it wasn't that same kind of leather like you were talking about. It didn't play with the light and um, react to the environment around it. It was just black leather gloves. And here it was really like an added, a definite added uh, prop that he wanted you to focus on. Well, at the end of the movie, um, and I'll tell you when exactly, um, the killer puts on gloves and they're not the same gloves. They're they're not they're not shiny, they're just like dull black leather, and we'll talk about that. So anyway, <clears throat> so now we're introduced to our hero, um, this guy Sam, who, like in many Argento movies, is an American who is in a foreign land or a foreigner in a foreign land or whatever. Um, but he's American in Italy. He's like most Argento movies some sort of artist and in this case he is a uh novelist who for the last two years hasn't been able to come up with a goddamn thing so he takes a shit job writing a book on rare exotic birds just for a paycheck so he could fly him and his supermodel girlfriend back home to america again like many um argento films and stuff like that so um we meet his friend who's kind of um, a weird goofball. He seems kind of Irish, but Italian at the same time. Um, what was his name? Do you remember his name? I can't remember off the top of my head. Oh, I don't know. I mean, he, he plays a pretty decent role, but yeah, it doesn't stick out to me. Okay. So he, he's pretty important. He comes up more and more later. Um, Again, he's um, an obvious uh, type of a red herring type of character um, as as you go in the movie. Um, not body-wise, but just the way he acts. It makes you go, hmm, he's kind of icky, maybe. Um, so anyway, Sam leaves with his check, and he walks in front of an art gallery. Now, this is the crux of the whole movie and something that is very beautiful and something that is very upsetting to me um, as we will talk more about this. As he's walking by, he looks into this gallery and he could see this beautiful woman with red hair all in white at the top of a staircase in a struggle with a guy in the, the black leather coat and the fedora and the black gloves. And they're fighting and she's screaming and Sam's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And as he starts to cross the street, a yellow Fiat almost runs him over, which might have hurt him. Maybe not. It might have broke the car in half. We don't know. Um, <laughs> but then he runs up and goes up through this little glass window thing. Um, and then he's met with another glass window. And as he's running, the killer jumps down the stairs and runs out the door. And the beautiful redhead is like on the floor, crawling, bleeding, reaching out. And he's like, open the door. And then he turns around to see that the door's closing behind him because the black gloved killer has shut him inside of this glass case. 
He's banging on the door. The girl's reaching her hand out for him. He can't help her at all. He's freaking out. And then some random person comes up, and he's freaking out. There's some dead girl laying on the floor, and the guy outside keeps pointing to his ear like, oh, I can't hear you, sir. What was that? Can, can you speak up? <laughs> and right. it's like, get the police! <laughs> A lot of people say that uh, Argento's films are like watching a nightmare, and I don't think it could get any more obvious than in this scene when you're trapped there in between two panes of glass. You can see out both ways, but you can't do anything about it. You can't move anywhere, and you're just watching this act happen. I, um, I definitely want to um, maybe one day sit down and Freud this whole thing out and see um, like when he stopped breastfeeding and all this stuff by looking at all the things in the movie. But, um, <laughs> so long story short, the guy finally goes and gets the cops. And when the cops finally show up, it's crazy because he's, the girl's freaking out. He's trying to get to her, but he can't. And the music's kind of crazy. And then all of a sudden the music just stops and he just like leans up against the wall and sits down and he's staring at this girl like dying on the floor He's trapped, and then there's all of these things that they call art pieces in the room that look just like giant, weird turds. Like there, I think there was a T Rex foot. Um, That's or basically what art is, right? Yeah, <laughs> giant turds everywhere. It was just like the most ridiculous four pieces of art. Um, uh-huh. But then the cops finally open the glass and get in there and they're like oh, okay it's just like a flesh wound she'll be okay no big deal she's not really bleeding although there was blood on the yeah um <laughs> and then he's like what happened like what do you remember and sam says something right here that strikes such a chord sam says you know there's something wrong with this scene and he's right. fucking right on so many different levels and we'll probably talk about that in a minute here. Um, <clears throat> and then he goes to touch something and the cop yells at him. He's like, don't touch that. And then immediately the cop starts putting his hand on the banister as he's going up the stairs. So um, and everything on his crotch. Yeah. <laughs> Some um, detective. Yeah. That's the Italian for <laughs> So long story short, they take him um, to the uh, police station and they start interrogating him. And he's like, look, dude, I told you everything I know. Blah, 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 blah. And he's like, I'm going back to America in a couple days. And he's like, oh, can I see your passport? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he's like, okay, cool. I'm going to keep it. And he's like, what? And he's like, I'm leaving in a couple days. You can't do that. I'm going to call my consulate. And he's like, go ahead. Call whoever the fuck you want. And yeah. um, that's how this happens. So he's going to keep him there until um, the case gets solved. And um, go ahead. I was going to say, if, if you want to see a cinematic version of how that Amanda Knox case went down in Italy, this is pretty much, I'm guessing, how it happened. <laughs> they just take a passport go call whoever you want, call the president. Do whatever. Yeah, call the, the president. The next phone call he makes is the airline canceling his plane tickets. Yeah, he calls TWA and says, yeah, <laughs> uh, let's put a kibosh on that. Um, <clears throat> then um, he goes home to the most understanding, beautiful girlfriend in the world. She's laying in bed, all naked under the blanket or whatever, and he's like, hey, yeah. Oh, I forgot this part. He, um, As he's walking home from the police station, he's walking through the fog, and someone with a hatchet comes and tries to chop his fucking head off, but he's saved by a little old woman. <laughs> she yells and he ducks, um, so that's, that's right. 
So he, he gets back to his house and he tells his chick everything that fucking happened. And um, she's like, <laughs> and he's like, no, I'm fucking serious. And she's like, okay. And then they start having sex. And while they're having sex, he's having these like weird flash, like uh, flashes of what happened. Cause he's still not okay with it. It still doesn't sit right in his stomach. And then when they're done having sex, you notice that there's a metronome going to keep time, I guess. And what does that symbolize, Creep? Uh, him needing to keep his pace up? I don't know. You tell me. Because I know a woman needs you to be doing it the same way, the same speed, uh-huh. in order for her to finish. You can't be going all over the place. You can't go super fast and super slow and super fast and super slow. You need. To, you Did know. I make it 60 seconds this time? That's probably what he's wondering. <laughs> so that's the only time the metronome is used in the whole uh, movie. And there's no instruments in the house. So they can't be using it to be learning how to play piano or anything like that. Uh, yeah. I didn't even notice that part. They, yeah, it's right above their head. And it's like going tick, tick. See, I heard that noise. I just thought that was some kind of tension-building device, but I could see with a beautiful woman like that, you want to kind of keep pace. Yeah, she might she might uh, make it mandatory. That might have been her thing and not his, um, and that's yeah, probably why she's so understanding. And, and sort of playing underneath her league, <laughs> that shaggy guy. Oh my god. And then, um, but did you notice the Black Panther poster in the room? Or, uh, or did the, not the, that. the Black Power poster? I just, oh. I don't, it was right by the door, and I always just did not, I, I'm always like, what is that doing there? Like, I don't understand. Like, they don't seem like the, the Black Panther type. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what, though? His leather jacket is so tits. If I had that fucking jacket, I would start wearing black turtlenecks. <laughs> like, that is just a beautiful coat, for real. You could pretty much get away with anything wearing that jacket. Oh, my God. Um, so then he goes back to the police station, and um, the guy's like, Ring out the perverts! Oh, um, yeah, I wrote that down word for word. I love that part. <laughs> this is the humor of Argento coming out. For sure. And so all these perverts are up there and then um, a transvestite comes in and he's like, that guy's supposed to be with the transvestites, not the perverts. And then the transvestite's <laughs> like, thank you. How dare you associate me with the perverts? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, and um, one thing that um, this is a little bit of foreshadowing because in a lot of Argento films, there's a lot of gender swapping. And um, as <clears throat> we get more inside of his head, we'll see this happen a lot more. And um, yeah, so we'll get into that. And um, I don't want to get too much ahead of myself, but yeah, remind stuff like this that happens so I don't forget. Um, oh, and so he, he goes to the dude's house, and this is another really great form of foreshadowing that Argento does. Um, the guy goes up to the building where the redhead and her husband live, and he steps onto the sidewalk, and then the camera slowly pans up the side of the building so you could see how high up their window is. And then when you get to the top window, um, there's all this like blood ivy 
coming out of the window, like uh, like wrapping around the building from that window, um, as a little bit of foreshadowing. So That's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of nice. I thought that was really clever. Um, so that was pretty cool. Uh, let me see. See, this is what happens when I have notes. I have to stop talking every two seconds to figure out what the hell I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> Sounds like you've got about 20 more pages of notes than I do. No, it's just it's one big long page. It's on an iPad, so I just have to run okay. my finger up on it like most things, like <laughs> women. Just, um, just keep pace with it. Uh, oh, Blood Ivy. There you go. <clears throat> now, when we start talking to um, the guy, because um, we already went to the supercomputer that takes up like seven rooms inside the police station that has all of these like spinny things. And it basically said that the guy who the killer is probably dresses really nice, smokes fancy cigars or cigarettes, um, is left handed and is probably about six one. Or something mm. like that. So, so that narrows it down to about how many did it say? Over 150,000 people. I think so. Yeah. So getting it down there. Yeah. You know. I mean, that's what you got to do. You got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Mm. The JMB is kicking in, folks. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's getting it's getting kind of warm up in here. There's better but, be skinny <laughs> cigarettes. <laughs> I should have had some capris or something. Man, that would have been hot. Okay. So anyway, so um, <clears throat> he's talking to her husband, and he notices that he's dressed really fancy. And um, he throws him his cigarettes, because the guy's like, you're not going to talk to my wife. She's been through enough, and all this other shit. And when he throws him the cigarettes, he catches him with his left hand or whatever, and he's like all, <gasps> it was yep. like light bulb went off in his head. And he's like, uh, how tall are you? And he's yeah. like, six one, And he's like, oh. I'm going to go now. And this is another thing about Sam that just pisses me off. He's like trying to play like super sleuth and he always gets to almost the right question. And then he's like, I'm going to go. Yeah. And then he leaves. And it's just like, it's like so irritating. Jessica Fletcher could have had this crime solved in 15 minutes, dude. So <laughs> we'll say 45 just to kind of flesh out the plot a little more. Uh, and commercial breaks, you know, uh-huh. No big deal. So um, this is where um, the <clears throat> I don't want to talk about it. Well, I guess I can. Um, this is kind of where the MacGuffin kind of comes into the story. Um, but in order to understand that, you have to know what happens at the end. So we'll save spoilers, I guess, until the end. Right? Is that how we're gonna do this? Okay. So um, so then we go to a racetrack, and um, in a lot of these Jally movies. Um, there's at least one scene where they go to like a motocross event or a horse race or a, a, a race car kind of thing. There's always some scene at some sporting event. Like they, it's just like, Oh, make sure you have our, our race in here. And um, in this movie, it is a horse race and the killers looking through binoculars finds a girl now, this chick, I can't remember what her name is. It's like uh, Rosa or something like that. But she was in um, Flesh for Frankenstein. She was in um, Red Knights of the Gestapo. She has. Uh, she was in uh, Footprints on the Moon. She has a long list of trashy, fun movies that she was in. So she's walking home 
and um, she's like all uh, um, I'm kind of skipping a big part but it's okay we'll come back to it she's walking home and the killer's following her and this is like our first real like POV stalking scene in the movie um, total straight out of like something you'd see in like a Friday the 13th movie and she feels like there's somebody following her and she runs to some cops who are just like sitting in their car like shooting the shit and they're like do you need any help she's like well no I guess not you guys are kind of creepy so I'm just going to go home so she goes home and then this is what I kind of didn't like the camera stays there the girl goes in the house and then the killer comes out of the POV shot and stands kind of um, off to the right of the camera and I was like I don't know if I liked the POV not being a POV all of a sudden. Like, it just made it feel like I got shoved over to the side a little bit. <clears throat> okay, so from a director's standpoint, you're, you're not really a fan of that, because I was kind of thinking, like, yeah, like you're at a POV, and then all of a sudden he kind of slides out to the side, and that was that kind of almost made my heart jump a little bit. It's not like a jump scene or jump scare, but it was still it's something you weren't expecting it made me feel like the killer shoved me to the side and walked by me (laughs) i don't need you (laughs) yeah it was like fuck (laughs) off buddy you're in the way (laughs) only i can stop beautiful women (laughs) so this scene is one of my favorite scenes in the movie though um so the girl super hot she goes upstairs starts taking off her clothes and then puts on this super awesome like see through why the hell are you wearing it in the first place kind of nightgown thing and her room the music's kind of going crazy her room is like wallpapered like vomit in a freak show and um, she's got this bitch in bedspread that has this weird like embossed or embossed uh fucking thing it's just her room looks amazing like i just wanted to go snuggle up in her bed and um, she's sitting there smoking a cigarette in bed, like most hot Italian girls do when in the dark when there's nothing to do, right? Right. And as if <clears throat> we didn't get enough J and B in the movie, did you notice what was on her ashtray? Was it some J and B on the ashtray? It was the uh, J and B logo mm. on the ashtray. It was a yellow ashtray. I did not notice that. There's one. Yeah, there's. They're uh, getting their name in there as much as they can. Yeah, because it's Sam's apartment. It's all like there's a bottle sitting on the table all the time. And the when centerpiece. When the they were at the, um, the husband's house, there was a one too. Right. But um, so. The camera. This is the, the my favorite thing. The camera turns to a point of view of the girl laying in the bed. And she's smoking her cigarette and holding it up, and she's looking towards the empty doorway, and then she turns her head, so we follow the cigarette, she ashes the cigarette, and she goes back to look, and then all of a sudden the killer's silhouette is standing in the doorway, and she screams. It was so good. Love that. It was so good. Such a good scene. So then the killer comes up, and then this is where you could see where the movie was cut for different regions and stuff like that. Um, Uh Uh-huh. The killer uh, takes the knife and rips it. And, like, this is another thing. The killer holds the knife down by the crotch up kind of high, like it's an erection kind of thing. Walks in, cuts up her her nightgown, and leaves a small little cut on her chest. And then goes and grabs her panties and rips her panties off of them and then slowly kind of lingers them over the blade like it's like he's rubbing the knife on the panties uh-huh. before he starts going to town on her with the knife and the blood's going everywhere <clears throat> so that's our next victim 
So I was going to say, besides any gratuitous nature of this scene, was there anything that you kind of looked into? And you kind of explained that. It was kind of like a um, very intimate... I want, I want to be careful with my words, but... Don't be. It was like a... It was like a <laughs> penetrating her. Yeah. Because, I mean, in, in they a... allude to the fact that that's where he stabs her, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Basically, and... If, even if he doesn't, it's still the same thing. You're intruding and, you know, ripping her clothes off and then intruding her in, into her body against her will. And it kind of gives it that added feeling of that that giallo flair that we'll eventually see in other Well, yeah, films. and it's the thing is, sexual like, talk about part. trashy, you know, like the rubbing the uh, crotch of the panties over the blade of the knife Mm-hmm. after the panties were already ripped off that's super trashy but that was cut out of the movie for years right and when you're watching it at least the cut i see that i saw of it <clears throat> when when it cuts to that like the movie gets super grainy and shitty you know like i don't know if the blu-ray if that was all seamless but it was pretty seamless yeah i don't know if they were able to restore it because i'm guessing they had to pull it up from some cutting room probably where it got stepped on a bunch and they, oh, yeah, they so reinserted it, and I know in reinserted. Some, yes, and <laughs> uh, in some cuts they did it out of order, from what I heard. But this one, um, it was in the proper sequence. When you mean the panties were on the, I guess he had the panties oh, on the knife before right. he even put the knife down by her body. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that too. It was this company that put out this Blu-ray that I watched. Um, before they put out the Blu-ray, they put out a DVD, and it was in the wrong sequence. Because I guess they didn't know or they didn't have the proper... Didn't they fix it, though? Didn't they, like... They fixed it for the Blu-ray, yep. Yeah, okay. Um, So, basically, Sam and his wonderfully beautiful Susie Kendall girlfriend, Julia, have decided... And she kind of decided, like, unwantingly, I guess, that they're going to try to solve this crime. And Susie Kendall is just like the Google and Wikipedia combined because they're sitting there and there's apparently been quite a few of these murders happening. And so he's like, tell me, and this is all shit he could have done by himself, you know, uh, tell me about the first victim. And she has like newspaper clippings. She knows every goddamn thing. Like the information that's in this newspaper is like so like too much information and so he gets all this information on all the victims and um what he what we skipped right there is that um he um finds out that one of the girls the first girl that was killed worked at this antique shop so he's going to go to the antique shop and when we get to the antique shop we meet this really um flamboyant homosexual antique store owner and sam becomes the most homophobic man in the nation or world because as soon as the guy comes up to him he's like backpedaling the whole time he's like oh my god oh and he's like oh I my like gosh to pretend he did i like to pretend he didn't know that that was coming from that actor and that it was just out of nowhere <laughs> he totally looks spooked he looks so scared and um so he basically finds out that the girl who was killed there um sold a painting and then just disappeared from work and so he wanted to see what the painting was. And so he shows him this picture. He has like a little photocopy or whatever of what the painting was. And it's this picture of a guy stabbing this girl in the stomach out in the snow or some shit like that. And, he, and so he talks the dude into letting him borrow it. And he takes it home and he puts it on the wall. Susie Kendall comes in and from the other side of the room, she's like, I don't 
feel right about this at all. The picture's making me feel disgusting. And the picture's the size of a piece of paper. And she's like a good 30 feet from it. And the image of the murder is super tiny. (laughs) And she just like off the rails like, I don't like this at all. I I don't, yeah, I don't know if that was just a a problem of the the staging or whatever happened to that, but I can still kind of see where she's coming from. This is a very creepy picture. It's um, it's almost cartoonish. The characters of like yeah. the Jack the Ripper guy in the black suit and hat and stabbing the girl out in the snow of this like tranquil village where you go, you see like down the hills or down the road. There's this nice little town lit up, and then they're off in the wilderness and he's stabbing her. And it's a very unsettling picture, to say the least. Yeah, and it's kind of foreshadowing, so I understand why she freaked out. So that's fine. Um, And we'll get into what that foreshadows in just a little bit. But, um, so, um, now what is the actual, um, what, oh, so then he goes to talk to the pimp. Now the pimp is my favorite character in the whole movie. He (laughs) has like a stuttering problem, and he kind of looks like uh, freaking Gomez from the Adams yes. family. And... Say, kind of like a cross between him and maybe Peter Lorre or something. <laughs> or something, dude. And yeah. he, and um, or maybe one of the guys, like, I don't know if you watch Sons of Anarchy, but one of the Belfast uh, uh-huh. uh, Sons of Anarchy guys. I don't know. It's just like, it do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, I couldn't pinpoint it down, but that's, <clears throat> yeah, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. yeah. And he's the, he's the pro, or he's the pimp of a prostitute who was what the second or third victim the second victim because the third victim was the girl in the beginning of the movie okay the one the attempted murder right no 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 oh the oh the very first girl okay. yeah um the yeah. one that said um and starring so-and-so as guest star <laughs> right high boots little skirt yeah it's too um, focused on the guest star. <laughs> um so anyway <clears throat> um, and he does this thing, and he's like, "Oh, I can't, I can't do it." But he does this part where he like holds his chin and he puts his head back and looks down, and he's like, "Ah," when he's talking, and it's really scary. And I don't know if that was like the intent, but one of the things in this movie that, after watching it so many times, I started to notice is the people standing in the background are having like just the weirdest poses ever the guard that's at the end of the table is standing like he's posing for like someone to make like a statue out of him or something. He's in this like really weird like pose. And when they, um, he comes back and talks to him again, um, uh, another time because, um, and again, getting ahead of ourselves here, this is one of the greatest moments in any Dario Argento movie. Um, the cop finally says to Sam, well, you know, I think you probably should get out of town and everything like that. And so he hands him the passport and they start giggling a little bit. And he's like, so what do you think you're going to do? And he's like, I think I'm going to stay around here for a while. See how this goes. And he's, and then the cop says, well, can I help your investigation at all? Not that the dude said he was going to investigate this at all, but he's like, can I help in your investigation in any way? And he's like, yeah, sure. Let me get into the jail and talk to the pimp. Easily arranged. And it's like all of a sudden, like, yeah, you were my number one suspect, but here are the keys to the kingdom. Do whatever the fuck you want. Do my job. And um, that is a common theme in these Argento movies and and other Jolly too, but um, specifically... um, Argento for sure. 
the uh, the trust level between the police and the obsessed American. I mean, I can't even get the cops to freaking let the guy next door turn his music down, you know. <laughs> but like in Italy, they fucking let you like solve crimes and shit, you know, for yeah, like no gonna, reason. If you're gonna work for free on that, while well, they can sit back and drink their scotch and. Well, they're that they're Coffee. walking. Um, him and his girlfriend are walking at night, and like she turns and she's like, "Honey, this man's been following us for hours." And he's like, yeah. "Oh, that's one of the cops." And I'm just like, "If she's been following you for hours, why are you just now bringing that up? <laughs> Isn't that something yeah. you probably should have brought up three hours ago if it was really right. bothering you?" Um, but there's a really cool shot because they're walking and the cop is behind him and then a car comes around the corner and it's this really, really wide shot and it has this great line and great shadows and the car comes up on the sidewalk and runs over the cop. Yes, this is super great. Awesome. It was, it really reminded me of like a film noir, just Argento's probably watched some of his daddy's movies. Oh, you can't get enough of that. Yeah, that was a great shot. And then um, this, the ugliest dude you've ever seen in your life um, pops out of the car. It looks like um, a burnt scrotum, like stretched over a skull. And um, he's in this, I kid you not, a fucking bright yellow leather jacket. It's Mm -hmm. so tits. We need to get Jalo Chow Chow. Le- yellow leather jackets boxing club jackets yes i will fund that i can find them it was so cool so anyway he's chasing them and um sam throws his chick in a closet and says hide here we'll be you know go get the cops when we leave so then he runs and the guy's shooting at him and he takes him into like some bus yard where there's buses that are fiats i thought that was the <laughs> coolest thing i've ever seen in my life like Oh, it was so cool. And so they're doing this whole thing. Go ahead, take it. <laughs> I was just going to say, should we get some Fiat buses to go with our jackets? Oh, fuck yeah, we should. I'm going to actually go hit up Fiat USA and say, hey, you should sponsor our show by giving us yellow Fiats. <laughs> so <laughs> so he, he chases the, the killer shooting at him, and then all of a sudden they get on a busy street, and the killer puts his gun away, and he's like, oh, I can chase him now. So then he chases him into this hotel, and then you hear, Mrs. Johnson! Mrs. Johnson! <laughs> and it's like the most annoying thing you've ever heard in your life, and it's some little dude with, like, it might be a guy, it could be a girl, holding the sign that says Mrs. Johnson with little bells on it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, that was it's great. Odd, odd insert, yeah. For real. Um, and then he opens this <clears throat> um, door, these sliding doors, and he sees about a hundred dudes in the yellow leather jacket with the BC on it, the boxing council. And it's some big union meeting for boxers and stuff. Um, then we go to the hospital and we find out that the guy, the cop who got ran over by the car was dead. And, um, he says, uh, like the cop says, you guys should probably go back to America. And he's like, I don't know. We're so close now. I feel like the killer thinks so too. I should probably keep going. And then he says, did you get a good look at him? And it does this like triple flash cut into a closer shots. And he says, no, I didn't get a good look at his face. But I know in another cut of the movie, he says something else. Do you know what he says? I forgot to write yeah, that down. That... Oh. 
Let me, I got that. I got it right here. One second. <laughs> you don't la, 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 la. That's how the music goes. So I'll do that while he's doing that. La, 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 la. He says, you don't easily forget a face like that. No but shit. in Italian, of course. That's what I'm saying. You don't easily forget a face like that. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, that's a weird kind of deal. Um, and then he ends up finding um, who that guy might be by getting this um, kind of sketchy, uh, what do you call him? Like a... Just some shady motherfucker who comes in and he's like, is your place bugged? And he's like, no. Uh And he's like, okay, well, um, can you give me information? He's like, no, of course I can't. And like, so he says stuff, but then his hands are doing something else. So he gives him the money and he's like, no, keep your money. But then he takes it and he starts counting it or whatever. Uh And um, so he says he's going to get him some information. He's like, when am I going to hear from you again? And he's like, never maybe in the morning and then shuts the door and <laughs> it's funny that. because like this is another one of those things um and we'll talk about it in a little bit they do this exact same thing in deep red like when um david hemmings is uh arguing with the reporter girl and she's like when am i gonna see you again he's like never maybe tomorrow night and then uh-huh. he like leaves yeah. and shuts the door it's like such a argento like thing Right, he loves playing with these kind of goofy relationships. Well, in that one, it was David Hemmings in the in that um, what's her name, Daria Nicolodi. Yeah, good job. There, uh, I forgot her name. Well, I just did second. the movie for. Oh, that's the right. That's <laughs> <laughs> the only way I would know. They, uh, yeah, they they just have such a strange relationship, and in this one, it's obviously because he's some sketchy private investigator that doesn't want to be caught on a tape. But then at the same time, it's that little. Dario Argento humorous jab that he likes to throw in there. Now, um, we get, um, oh, yeah, so he finds out where this guy is. Also, what has happened during this time, there have been two calls from the killer, one to the police and one to Sam, and Sam recorded it on his fancy giant uh, phone recorder. And uh, great technology in this movie, <laughs> 70s technology. Totally. So, um, and we'll hit those up in a minute, but he gets back to the, the boxer's house. He finds his house and he goes in and, you know, just, and it's like back to that whole thing. Like, don't touch anything. You can contaminate the whole scene. So he walks in and he sees a, a table with a, like a piece of bread on it. He picks up the bread and he holds it and then he smells it. <laughs> and then puts the bread down because he's That's investigating. Evidence. So then, right. he, then he walks into his room and he sees a clock and he picks up the clock and shakes it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this guy's... No, Angelo Lansbury. He's fucking Inspector Gadget, dude. Right. Then he walks in a room and this is a great scene. He finds a syringe with some shit in it. And of course, he picks it up and touches it all over and starts looking at it. And then he bends down. And as he bends down, you see um, the bowl or the boxer all bent up and with an axe in him, like hanging out dead out of a hole in the wall or something. And um, so that was like a kind of jump, you know. Um, it, it was just shot really, really well. And that's a hard rack focus. And that was a quick one because he's in focus. He ducks down for half a second. The dude's in focus. And when Sam pops back up, he's in focus. And that's like, like, like spinning the freaking um, 
the lens like crazy super fast so that's doing it in uh, the 1970s yeah so that's a super good job uh, they're doing yeah and in fact uh the cinematographer for this um i think did apocalypse now and he did um oh he's done a ton of stuff what was the other thing i saw that he did um dick tracy oh wow so he's got some some bitchin credits yeah um so then uh oh then we have another victim and um I have a question because I couldn't tell if this is what happened. This chick walks into this amazing, amazing um, triangle-shaped building, or at least the the lobby and the stairwell is like a triangle. And there's this bitchin' shot down um, at the girl. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh man, I don't she's, know. She's like the third victim. And she's okay. walking up the stairs, and as she's going up the stairs, the light on the third floor turns out, or whatever. And she goes up the stairs, and it's dark. And then it's like she's going into an elevator, I think. And then the killer takes out a, a straight razor and starts just, oh, like, yeah, slashing yeah. her. Now, did she go into an elevator? Is that where I, she was at? Yeah, I believe it was an elevator because there was something to do with, like, she was trying to seemed like she was trying to get it to go up before the killer got to her and he just got his way he nudged his way in there and then started slashing at her with that razor now have you seen dress to kill no i haven't with michael kane um, <laughs> of course you know, it has michael kane and angie dickinson in it and it's like the exact same scene it's a brian de palma film and um she's in the elevator and he comes in um, the killer comes in and just has a straight razor and just fucking whacks her to death with a straight razor until she bleeds to death. Right. So yeah, I know uh, De Palma had a lot has a lot to takes a lot of inspiration from Argento from what it seems like in his movies and from what I've heard. Oh yeah, for sure. <clears throat> this was just. Um, I mean, I think De Palma did it better in Dress to Kill. Sorry, Argento fans, because this one, the elevator is super tiny, so you can't really get in there. Because I, I couldn't even really tell if she was in an elevator. I thought she was in an elevator, but I wasn't 100% on that. Once um, again, we're just going to say it was an elevator and say we're 100% accurate on yeah, the show. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, <laughs> let me see. Uh, so... Uh, one of the another great line is when the cop comes and starts asking him questions and wants him to like go with him back to the headquarters um because Susie kendall uh who plays julia is like for the most part the most understanding girlfriend in the world and she's so cool about most of this like she makes faces when sam's not looking but uh-huh. then is like super on board and when the cop says you got to come back down to the station she's like what are you doing putting his life in danger? He's not even Italian. <laughs> <laughs> Why should he be solving these Italian crimes? Oh my gosh. So that was great. I like that. Um, let me see. Uh, so then he, um, he he's chilling with his chick and um, his buddy comes over and, and here's the message that the killer left for him that had this weird little clicking sound that the cops couldn't figure out what it was and his buddy's like i think i know what this is let me take this and i'll be back so um he's sitting there making out with his girlfriend like he would they're leaving in eight hours 
And then all of a sudden he gets this idea. He's like, oh, my God, maybe if I talk to the artist of this painting, all this would come together and everything would be fine. And she's ready to bone. And he's like, I'll be right back. I'm going to this place that's an hour and a half away by train. I'll totally make it back in time. Don't you worry. So she's all pissed off. She throws a vase at him. Her first real blow up of the movie. And um, Sam does not get points for being an awesome boyfriend because seriously if you almost got gunned down and ran down the last thing i think you would do is leave your girlfriend home but Uh i know he thought well you know there's um cops downstairs and i mean honestly the more i watch this movie the more i would want to live in his apartment if there was a zombie apocalypse because it seems to be a pretty fortified fucking place. Right, about four different bolt locks and then the uh, the windows up on the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, the place is yeah. freaking Fort Knox in there. So he right. leaves his chick. He goes into the middle of nowhere to this house that doesn't have a door. It's like sealed off. And he's looking right. for the guy. What's his name? Is it Bruno or Brute? It's a Berto. Berto. And he only lets people in that he wants to that want to come in, and or that he wants to come in. And he lets him in through a second story window with a ladder. <laughs> I um, love that, that ladder shooting out. <laughs> so he goes up there and he's like, "What do you want the Berto for?" And he's like, "I want to buy a painting." And he's like, "What for?" And he's like, "Cause I like art." And he's like okay come in and he's like he's telling him about what painting he saw the one with the girl getting killed and he's like oh i don't do that stuff anymore i i I, i'm feeling mystical or no i I paint mystical things and he's like because i'm feeling (laughs) mystical the guy's just out of his mind okay he's just like a total like big scary nut job dude and so the guy's gonna he feeds him and all this other stuff did you want to take this part i think you like this part don't you yeah, I, I, I was just going to mention the uh, the beautiful part when they're in the middle of eating this delicious-looking Italian dinner. With Everything just seems so stereotypical. He's got the wine in that uh, weird jug with the basket around it, like you'd see in maybe like Pinocchio. Yeah. And um, in the middle of this discussion, he's he says, wait. He stands up, goes to one of his mystical paintings, and finishes. It looked like there was a crescent moon that he turned into a full moon. And then he goes, genius. <laughs> I cracked up at that part. And then, um, yeah, other things in the scene, taking him back to the room, or he's taking him back to look at this, or find this painting of this sort of Jack the Ripper scene. And uh, they go to the back room, and one of the cats tries to escape. So he finds out that he's got all these cats caged up. And uh, he says, well, well, why do you want to cage them up? Why don't you want to let them run free? He says, well, then they, they don't get fat. Or something along those lines. And he's, well, well, why do you want him to get fat? So I can eat them. Just matter of factly, to, like it's something normal. And then they, uh... He's yeah, like, what? Sam he's says, like, what? You don't like cat? Yeah, Sam's like, I don't believe I've ever had it before. And then they look at the plates. And he's like, on the dinner table. Oh, yeah, this guy definitely earned his guest star. Yeah, so now Sam's ready to puke, and he, like, runs out the window, and the guy, this is the humor part. Like, the guy's like, here's my painting I want to sell you, uh, 500,000. And he's like, oh, no. And he's like, okay, 100,000. And he's like, no. And he runs out, and he's like, 50,000. Yeah, he's just trying not to puke the whole time. Yeah, the humor is like the guy thinks he's trying to, yeah, whole deal. But the thing that's missed in this scene, which sucks because the scene's so good, but the, the painter is telling him, he's like, yeah, it's off a true story of a girl I knew uh, that she was almost killed by this guy. And 
Sam doesn't ask a fucking follow-up question. Right, right. And that was like the nail in the coffin. Like everything could have been figured out if Mm -hmm. he would have just asked that one fucking question. But he was so worried about his orange chicken that was made out of cat that he had to fucking like run out of there. And so then he runs out to a phone and he's like, Oh, Hey baby, yeah, the buses and trains are down. So I'm going to be a little late. How did it go? Oh, no, it was okay. Nothing really. Right. It's like, dude gave you some good information. You fuckhead, and you blew it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah. To his credit, it's like this whole film has this kind of weird, even in those flashbacks that he has, everything seems disjointed. And when you're trying to see, trying to focus you know, that saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. You just, you can't focus on that one simple clue because your head's all over the place. Your mind is looking in all different directions. And so I don't know if that, because I, even at that point, I was just sitting there the whole time trying to focus on, all right, I can figure this out. Who is, who is this killer? And at this point, even I still couldn't well, fathom. Well, at, at this point, we found out that the cops think that there's two killers because right, the voices right. on the recording sound different. Like they have different frequencies or some shit. Yeah, during the vowels or something. Yeah, like that. so that turns all shit topsy-turvy now. Uh-huh. Um, now, as Sam's trying to find his way home, we have another one of the like super epic scenes in this movie where the killer comes to their apartment and is going to try to kill Julia. And um, Julia opens the door and looks down the stairs and sees the killer come and she thinks it's Sam. She freaks out. She runs in, locks the door, and pushes her uh, dresser in front of the door. The killer's like, I'm going to kill you. You'll never get out of here alive. And proceeds to um, poke a hole in the door with a knife. <laughs> Right. And it's like it's still somewhat still traumatic to watch though. It's super traumatic because like if you get into the like whole like Freudian thing, like, oh, he's penetrating her door, you know, like and it's slow and it's gonna take forever and she's screaming no. And um so she's like freaking out and she puts a candlestick through a window that just gets stuck in it and she should have known with all the little metal grate in there that that window wasn't gonna break open. Right. Um but um, then she goes all batshit crazy and grabs some scissors and goes and starts stabbing the hole and stuff. It was just a super good scene, dude. And then you hear the cops come right. and the killer runs away and the whole thing. So it was just, that was right. just epic. Yeah, I, I love how it comes after that whole Berto scene. Um, I might be just kind of reading into things too much, but um, one thing he says when he's talking about his cats escaping from their cages he says they always find a hole to slip through and then uh later on even though uh, julia and sam's apartment's being watched by a host of policemen and guards the killer still manages to get away that's so super like good yeah and, and then, he, he found a hole to slip into right, right to get into the place in the first place and even at the beginning of the film i don't know if if uh you caught this or if it was even worth catching but um when he's following his friend through that weird museum of all those different birds um because he's writing that book on birds of course yeah there's a cat in the middle of all of them yeah like like (laughs) trying to figure out if maybe this cat is like symbolizing this killer this cat amongst the uh the birds especially with its bright orange hair (laughs) yeah so that's something that i think i don't know if i'm just reading into it or if argento meant to put those two scenes side by side in the 70s 
you would call a lady a bird. Mm-hmm. Right? And maybe and in Europe they still do that because when you watch the in-betweeners they talk about going to grab some birds. It's pretty classy. Oh, yeah, you know. That's how we roll. <laughs> um, we call them chicks here still. So. Yeah, which is kind of like a bird because it's a chicken. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. That kind of was from the 70s, 60s, 70s. Yeah, something like that, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're reading so deeply into this that we're going to figure out who killed Kennedy by the time we're done here. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't even get me started on that rabbit hole. <laughs> okay, so then um, his he gets there, the chick wakes up, she's been asleep for like 24 hours, his buddy finally shows up and he's like, hey, I figured out about that bird and it's uh, only lives in Siberia. And he's like, oh, man, because uh, the clicking noise was a bird on the, on yeah. the tape. And so he's like, oh, okay, I'm still packing. He's like, let me pour you some J&B. <laughs> wink, wink. And he's like, yeah, you know, um, they've only been able to keep one here in captivity. And he's like, what? And he's like spilling his whiskey all over the place. And he's Did like, he yeah. spill that expensive scotch. <laughs> and he's like, where do you, he's like, where else do you think a bird like that would be kept? The zoo! And, um... <laughs> So Scooby Dooish. Yeah, dude. And so they run to the zoo and they find the bird with the crystal plumage. Its feathers look like glass, and it makes the noise. And then he looks up, and right on the other side of the wall is the apartment building with that first shot when we panned up and we saw the blood ivy on the window. It's there, and he's like, "Oh my God, it's him! It's he's the killer!" And he like goes back, and he's like, "The phone's right by the window." And then all of a sudden we hear a scream. And so they run all around to get back up there. And they get up into the apartment and they kick the door in. Well, he's trying to open it. And then the two cops are like, um, we'll handle this. And they're yes. like, uno, dos, tres. And they bust through the door. And then we see... Go ahead. Should we issue a spoiler alert at this point? Yes. We, we can. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So, um she they're fighting over a knife and um uh, she gets away and runs into sam's arms and he's like get away from me all of you get away and then the this is monica runs. and her husband yeah, the monica, gallery owner exactly thank you for yep. keeping me on track here uh <laughs> the redheaded monica and the gallery owner her husband um monica runs out and his friend um who found out the i can't remember what his name is the guy who i said kind of looks irish kind of italian he runs out with her and he's like julia come on and so then the cops um go to attack the the husband the husband stabs one of the cops in the stomach and then sam it really looks like sam just fucking pushes him out the window and um so then the guy's hanging he's like i don't want to die help me and um then they can't hang on to him any longer and he plummets down to his death and there's a really cool camera shot where apparently they just dropped a camera out the window and it broke i was gonna say that's that's some trivia i look i found out about yeah they just launched the camera out the window to get that shot and hope that the film survived which it did that's that's what having a budget will do for you have you ever tried that throwing a camera out a window yeah just for the trick no but i've done things where like i have it on a rope or a bungee cord or um i've uh put a camera on us on the ceiling like hooked onto a ceiling fan Mm -hmm. um spun it like that um i've done stuff like that but i've never just like thrown a camera to break it 
we buried a camera in the last movie I did. Like we did this like from the ground POV shot of a kid burying something. Oh yeah. And that was rad. That was great. I was really proud of that one. But anyway, time you're like, Oh, a camera. <laughs> oh, and it was like the new black magics and we were all kind of freaked out about it. I'm like, Oh, it'll be fine. Let's just go. Uh, but anyway, so they get downstairs and the dude's like all bloody and fucked up on the ground. And by this time, I mean, at least 20 to 30 minutes had to have passed because the cops are there paramedics are there he has an iv there's some other dude there with like a recording device to record his confession so at least a half hour has gone by i would think half hour maybe yeah. 45 minutes so the, the guy's like i did all the murders it was me um it was me alone i love my you wife just, you knew it was too easy you knew that it seemed super it. easy exactly so um sam then is like walking around and he's like hey i kind of forgot where's my fucking girlfriend at? <laughs> and like, so, and then we find out how fucking perverted the men of Italy are. He just starts walking down the street. Hey, have you seen a blonde girl in the great? Oh yeah. She went this way. Oh, okay. Yep. So he's totally walking. watched her walk by. Yeah. <laughs> and then a little bit later and it starts to get dark. Hey, did you see a blonde in a gray trench coat or a gray raincoat? Oh yeah. She went into that door right there. And he's like, this door right here. He's like, that's what I fucking said. And it's like, yeah, dude, I'm, eyeing that chick dude so it's just like every guy is like a total freaking skis and like eyeballing every chick where they're going and the whole thing so whatever this is a really great scene though so he gets inside he gets into the room and um he's kind of like looking around and like touching around the lights are out he can't seem to turn anything on he opens the curtains a little bit and he sees his friend sitting in a chair. When he's walking around, he knocks over, he trips and knocks the phone over, and the phone almost lands right on Julia's face, who's um, gagged and tied up, um, and looks like she's been stabbed in the back, actually, under the bed or something. She's knocked out, and he's like, a friend's name who I can't remember. What the fuck's going on? I've got it here. It's Garulo. Garulo, what's happening? Not fitting. And I don't know how this actually happened, but he's sitting there with this weird smile on his face, and he's holding a knife, sitting in a chair. And somehow or another, Garulo's dead body with a knife in his back launched out of the chair and tackles <laughs> um, Sam. And then um, Sam's, like, freaking out. And at this point, he sees Garulo's dead. He assumes Julia's dead. And the killer walks in, who is, next spoiler alert, Monica with the red hair. And she's like, ha, 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 Yes. Very evil, very maniacal laugh. So she runs out the door, locks the door. He can't get out. He's like, I'm going to jump out this window, bitch, because he sees her walk into this other door. So this is a great great shot he gets he opens the door and there's this big giant wide shot with just this little yellow rectangle with his silhouette in it and he's walking into this dark dark room and then all of a sudden the lights turn on and he's fucking in the gallery from the beginning of the movie and they have this big giant stupid art piece with spikes hanging off of it hanging up monica cuts the rope the thing falls down on top of him Okay, so he's like, oh, I can't move. And she's so like... Is this more penetrating symbology? Something like that. But again, this is the whole gender roles uh-huh. as well, too, where right. the woman has the phallic object and is pinning the man down and playing around and putting him in a vulnerable position and the whole deal. 
And she's just like, ha, 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 ha. And he's like, help me, help me. And she's like, ha, 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 ha. And all this other shit. But the thing that was tripping me out was, since this is the same room, could everyone from the street see this happening? Yeah, you'd think if it was something that he saw at the beginning of the film, people outside could see this strange woman going after this guy underneath a 10-ton spiky dinosaur turd and she's she's like jumping on it and being all crazy and she's like you're gonna die like all the others and she's just like being really weird she's not cute anymore she was cute in other scenes in the movie now she's not very pretty she has this weird like it more when there's more sadomasochistic i don't know dude just like that (laughs) it just was like not doing it for me deal breaker and she's right about to stab him in the face and then all of a sudden um hitler john waters grabs her by the wrist and he's like, you're under arrest. And he's like, how did you know? And he's like, Julia called. And he's like, Julia called. And then they hug. And um, <laughs> it's this weird little bit. And she's like, no, no, no. So, you meddling um, kids. Yeah, right? I would have gotten away with it too. So <laughs> then this is when the movie, not that the movie hasn't been weird up to this point, but now we're in like this really weird news studio or something. And it has the bitchinest, sexiest white desk I have ever seen. Did you get a look at that desk that the host was behind? Yeah, I wanted to call Ikea and see if oh, we had that It stuff. totally looks like a weird Ikea desk. Yeah. I was just like, oh man, that'd be so rad. Well, so the inspector's sitting there and he's like all slouched over in his chair and they're like, tell us about, you know, what's going on here. And he's like, well, um, <clears throat> um, maybe this giant next to me would be able to explain this better to you. <laughs> this giant American. The guy sitting next to him was like fucking 12 feet tall and had hands the size of freaking basketballs, dude. It was just like <laughs> the weirdest, like, and the inspector's all hunched over looking like a little, like weird crippled baby and then there's this like giant dude and <clears throat> so he's saying psychologist. yeah the psychologist and the psychologist is basically saying the girl in the painting with the red hair who was getting stabbed in the stomach was her and she was just a normal person everything was fine when she went into this antique store she saw the painting and relapsed into this manic state but this time instead of relapsing into the victim she took on the role of the killer and um her husband loved her so much that he started to help her just so she wouldn't get caught Okay. It's one of those long-winded. Well, this is kind of where you can see those comparisons. We'll talk about it. Argento and Hitchcock. The, uh, yeah, this the is long-winded right psycho. Psycho for sure, yeah. dude. Now, this is one thing that I didn't catch the first time I watched this. But as he's telling the story, they're doing flash cuts to Susie um, or to Julia and Sam getting on a plane. And basically what they're implying here with the flash cuts while he's telling the story is that this is going to happen again when they get back to America. Like if anything triggers anything, Julia's gonna turn into a killer. Yep, after that attack in the uh, locked apartment. And after the attack and then the foreshadowing with her seeing the painting and not liking it and having like a yep. big like whole thing about it. But like I didn't catch that the first time I saw it. I was just like, oh that's super psycho, whatever. Now they get to fly away and go home. That's great. Yeah. But they're totally sinister there, but I couldn't quite yeah put my finger on it until you just pointed that out. Yeah, because when they're talking about like the girl going crazy, it's flashing onto her, and then when it flashes to him, he's saying and her husband, because he loved her so much, was 
an accomplice to make sure she wouldn't get caught and all this other stuff. And it's just like when I heard that and I finally put that together, I was just like, oh my God, that would have been such a good sequel. But uh, Jalo films are not known for sequels. So that's um, that's just one of those things. And then the plane flies off and there's this stupid voiceover from the beginning of the movie. And my agent said nothing ever happens in Italy. And um, it's... <laughs> oh yeah, because he finally, he was so excited he finally had an idea for a book. Oh yeah, because didn't he say he wrote like 60 pages in just a couple days? Yeah. Yeah. So, um... Writers, all they need is some people to drop dead and they and can... start trying to kill you and stuff like yeah. that. And then threaten to kill your chick. You know? Hang out in a prison. You know? Get arrested. Everything will be right. cool. Watch people die. Yeah. So what did you think of this film? Uh, this film, it's actually, it's kind of been funny because I've been watching Dario, or Dario Argento movies kind of in reverse throughout the short period that I've been watching them. Uh, but this one, so it's kind of, you can, you can kind of see the, the stuff from like Deep Red um, or Tenebrae that he starts working on here. So you've got like the black gloves that definitely pop up in those movies um, they they start off as kind of a minor prop in here, and they they build their way up throughout his his list of movies. And then you've also got the uh, the more violent, sexual uh, tinged killings than you'd see in a lot of other movies. That and uh, this was done the same year as Hatcher for the Honeymoon by Baba, and so there's a lot of similarities. You can kind of see the progression into the Jello style. Uh, with those two movies side by side but um this film by itself uh, especially talking to it um tonight having some time to think on it it uh it really has a lot to look into a lot of subtext uh like like we were talking about with the cats and the uh the different birds and the um just those and we'll talk about the different kind of things that argento puts into his films uh, a lot of his different films, you see a lot of the same things, but in this one particular, uh, I thought it was kind of slow-paced and methodical, but um, like I've said with other Giallo films, it's that's what it is. It's not really a horror pace. It's a detective thriller pace, and that's yeah. where these Giallo films stemmed from. So if you look at it in that context, it's a really effective film, I think. I, I really enjoyed it. Well, this one, um, for Argento especially, um, I guess, this was his first movie, like we said, but um, he was very much um, under the thumb of the producers, and this was probably the last time that happened to him, because this movie made a shit ton of money. Um, but like they were constantly on him. They were saying it was too sexual, the humor they didn't want in the movie. Um, it was too violent. Um, they wanted more of like a crimmy kind of thing. Uh And, um, they are like, it's, and then they're like, and, and most of it is not even scary. And I don't know if you read this little bit. Um, but apparently, um, the producers were yelling at Argento's dad. I think his name's Salvatore or whatever. And, um, so he, they're like, we're firing your son from the movie. He's fucking it up. He's totally derailed it. We're behind schedule the whole thing. And um, this guy's secretary just watched um, some of the dailies and was, like, terrified and, like, freaked out and told Salvatore that. And he's like, can you go in there and tell your boss that? 
And so she goes in there and she's like, yeah, dude, that was really fucking scary. I don't know what I'm going to do, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, okay, your son can stay. And um, (laughs) so that's how that went. But I think um, one of the reasons why this movie, compared to Argento's other stuff, is so... um, I don't want to say formulaic, but it seems like just like any other real like murder mystery that you would see is because he had, he was like held down. And I almost think that that did this film good. I mean, I don't know what it would have been like if he was able to just go be a psycho, you know, and just do typical Argento shit. But, um, I think in this case it worked and, um, there were a lot of little things. I have a huge, problem with the plot though and me and you are going to talk about it right now and i hope you can help me okay so he sees them fighting from the street okay he runs across the street into this glass box the girl's stabbed the guy runs away the guy shuts the door to trap him in there either so he can't help her or can't get to the cops Okay, Mm -hmm. but if that was his wife and he was trying to help her the whole time, why would he want him to not be able to go get help? Or I think why were they fighting in the first place? Yeah. And why did she get stabbed? And then why did he kind of want her to die? And what was the whole purpose in that? Like, I just I don't understand that scene's beautiful and it sets up the whole story. But when you think about it, I don't get why it happened. I think that's a question that has to come up as soon as you get to that scene where he says, it was me, I did it all, and then falls out the window, and then, or, it was after that that he fell out the window and he said that, um, and then you, you start to do do this flashback, like, well, and then, yeah, once you see that she was the killer, you do this flashback, and you're like, well, why were they alone in this art gallery? It's not like there was they got caught up in the middle of an attack on some third party they were just alone in this art gallery so that's the one of the things i don't really like about a lot of detective novels and detective thrillers it's they try to be just way too smart and i don't try to... i don't even know if it was being smart i think it's just it's kind of like a just to throw you off the scent but like at the same point why was there a scent to be thrown off of like did they know someone was going to come up so they had this whole rigmarole planned to to make sure that in case anyone came up they would never question her like was it a whole like i don't know just like the whole thing is so convoluted at that point you have to go to those kind of stretches to stretches of the imagination to really uh, try to understand the motives behind this. The only other thing I could think of is if they just got into some kind of weird argument or fight, heat of the moment, passion, and uh, she was trying to kill him because they then said at that, that she the pointed at him. Yeah, and then again, why was she trying to kill him in her apartment? That's true too. Yeah, I don't know if they just have some kind of weird off and on relationships. Um, well, I mean, I know that the stereotype is that um, Italian men are violent. <laughs> yeah. Right. In this case, it's the other way around. Yeah, but so he's dressed up already at that point. So does that mean he went out and killed the girl in the credits? Yeah, that's where the, the flaw comes into that. Because that's the first theory I came up with, is that they just got into some kind of heated, passionate battle. 
But then it's why was he dressed up as the killer? The only other thing is because they were acting together. Maybe she said, oh, you fucked up. You botched this job or something. You left your fingerprints behind. I'm going to take you out. Or something. something. But then, because when you see that that letter, the, the opening scene of the movie, it's like writing to yourself, okay, you got to make sure to go kill this person, self. Uh-huh. So yeah. obviously, if he was already in that outfit, then that was her in the outfit typing him a letter of who to kill. And then, Unless there was just some weird passage of time that we didn't see. Yeah, so that's my whole bit. Like, the flaw in this is the actual fucking plot. You know, it's yeah. like the crime itself doesn't, to me, make any sense. And the whole setup, as beautiful as that scene is, and as amazing as it is, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. And if anyone listening to the show has a good take on it, please email us or um i don't know how do you do your voicemails do you have the number or do you just have a mail you a voicemail i don't have a voicemail i have i just ask people to record themselves and send a wave or mp3 file um sending email would be fine writing on our facebook group yeah anywhere any of those or if you want to call the 5599 creep zero number and leave it um we can play it or if you want to send in a voicemail to Eric's email, which is what the fanamerica gmail.com. Well, that one that was right? taken, unfortunately. So I had to go with just uh, the name of my other show, 100 Years of Horror. Oh, that's right. Gmail.com. The 100 Years of Horror. Or is it 100 yeah. Years? Is it the it's 100? The number 100 Years of Horror. But the, right? No, or, no, the. No, the. So 100 Years of Horror at gmail.com, right? Right. Dude, I just totally confused everybody. I'm so sorry. Do we need sorry. to come up with our own email? We probably should, I guess. We're going to get a lot. We'll just get a lot of jello spam. Uh, we'll either get a lot of jello spam or hate mail for me sitting here not talking nice about Mr. Argento. But um, so if you have an I'm idea, yeah, I mean, just help me figure this out because this has been the question for that's just been boggling my mind for always. And then my other question is, what is their not necessarily their motive, but like, what's their type? Like, are their victims just completely random or, um, cause like they even say, yeah, the victims are random. So is it just like, they just go out and if they see a girl, they follow her around for a couple days to get her stuff or does that just not matter? I don't know. Yeah. They, I mean, they make it seem like they're going to eventually connect these murders by actually calling out that they're unconnected at the beginning of the film, but they, yeah, they never get to it. And, I mean, like we said, as great as this film is, as well as it's shot, you can see the st- beginnings of a great career from Argento. You have to wonder if maybe it's just some well, my, uh, amateur my, things. My biggest like, complaint with Argento is that he's way style over substance. Yeah. And I will say that till the day I die. And I know a lot of people might not agree with me on that. But he makes really pretty pictures, but sometimes they don't fucking make any sense. And it... <laughs> for someone who likes really good stories it irritates me a lot but um another thing about it was uh it, do you want to talk about the connections with deep red in this yeah just the things that i noticed personally watching these films pretty close together um you've got basically you know obviously the main killer or the main psychopath is a person that's normal by day, 
um, they might not even know that they're a psychopath or that they kill people. They just have this trigger that causes them to snap. And you kind of see that both with Deep Red um, and Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Um, you've also got the uh, main character who, like you called out to at the beginning, that something didn't fit or that something was strange here that I can't quite put my finger on. No, he said there's something wrong with this scene. There's something like, wrong with the scene, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like Argento knew. Like, man, if anyone really looks at this, I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to watch it with that in mind next time. But, I mean, uh, either that or he just knows that he writes himself into a corner every time and that the the main character, David Hemmings in Deep Red, he also knows that there's something out of place as far as the pictures on the wall, but he doesn't know why or why it was so strange to him. And, um, But, yeah, I mean, both in Deep Red and also in Tenebrae, um, I haven't seen actually um, Four Flies. Have you seen that? I haven't seen that one or Cat of Nine Tails. The other two parts Cat of, of this Cat animal of Nine trilogy. Tails is okay. Yeah, this is the first of Dario's animal trilogy, and um, so eventually, I don't want to just do Argento movies on this all the time, but um, I think we should definitely maybe um, hit up Cat of Nine Tails and. Um, uh, four flies because I think that those are four flies on gray velvet. I think those are ones that are very much overlooked anyway. Uh-huh. But um, <clears throat> but I mean with Tenebrae and um, Deep Red um, and the, Argento always has a character who he sees something, but he doesn't. He, something isn't right, and I gotta figure this out. And I almost think that um, it's padding. Because then it's like, well, if my movie's too short, we could keep going back to, come on, you got to remember it. I can't remember anything. Yeah, you know, because flashbacks. I mean, in this movie, I swear to God, there was at least four scenes where he's being drilled by the detective. Like, come on, remember something. I can't. You and know? did those flashbacks help you at all? Did you see anything in them that you didn't? see at the beginning of the film no because if you notice it um this is another thing i was going to say about those like super quick flashes when she's falling down on the floor there's no blood on her so i don't yeah, know if that was like fruit. a continuity thing or what i was but, i noticed that and i thought is this what i'm supposed to be seeing am i supposed to see that she doesn't have any blood on her right away does she pop a blood pack if you look at different if you just looked at those clips and one of the clips you'll see that he has a knife when he jumps down and is running to the door. And then it'll show another one, and he doesn't have a knife. But then at the same time, he had to have taken the knife with him, or else the cops would have found the knife on the scene. Or could that just be Argento's sneaky way of showing how this main character doesn't know what he remembered? Yeah, and I think that's it. And one of the neat things about the way this was done is that there was like this little fringe curtain on top of the window. So when they were at the top of the stairs fighting with their hands up in the air, you can't see their hands. And that was like a really neat way to craft that. Yeah. Because the whole thing is, if if you missed it, he, the whole time he thought when he was visual when he saw this happen that he was trying to stab her but then when he realized she was the killer he thought he's like that's it you were the one holding the knife that's why none of this seemed to work in my head it was like <laughs> bop, bop. it was just like a weird little like um yeah i think we totally skipped over that part and that's like huge um <clears throat> but the whole thing with um like the macguffin 
kind of theory here is that yes the the husband helped her or was an accomplice but i don't know if he actually killed anybody but the whole idea here is is that the whole time they were trying to find the identity of the man in black because they thought if they did they would have the killer but um that's not who they were looking for in the first place so that's kind of like a another like hitchcockian kind yeah. of um <clears throat> thing and um i don't know it's there's it's this i have such a love-hate relationship with this movie i really like the movie but the main idea of the movie is flawed and it irritates yeah. me and i think it's and if you heard the show i did on creepers and cast about argento it's just argento is held in such high regard and he's like the master of horror and the king of jalo and all this other stuff so i expect more out of him than I would out of <clears throat> fucking anybody else for that matter. And maybe that's fucked up that I put those kind of expectations on him. But it's just, I expect more. And when I don't get that, I get irritated. And I'm telling you right now, if you're a horror fan or a Jalo fan and you do not like Argento, it is okay to say that out loud. No one's going to hurt you. The cops aren't going to come get you. The horror Nazis aren't going to rape you or anything like that. There's a place for you, and it's yeah. here. You can be, you can be calm, you can be yourself. I, I, I like Argent. Like Tenebrae is one of my favorite of these films. Yeah. You know, but he has his problems. You know. Mm-hmm. That's why it's hard to compare him to Hitchcock because it's hard to. I mean Hitchcock. I mean, who can you compare to him? And of course, he's got movies that have weird explanations but he's so smart and methodical and detailed whereas like you said argento's more style over substance he's not he doesn't care about telling the story he wants to just show i think one of the the biggest things that you could draw a line between argento and hitchcock and see who is the great one there is that um psycho was uh alfred hitchcock's lowest budget movie and it's amazing and that was at the end of his career. Argento is in the end leg of his career, and he's making shit. Yeah. And he's complaining that it's because he doesn't have the big budgets anymore and all this other shit. But, um, you know, like, it's obvious at that level, like, who the real master of that is. But, we're, I mean, that's kind of off topic. But, yeah. yeah. Sorry! <laughs> Another thing, uh, I just wrote this down in my notes and just saw it here now. Um, the uh, the theme that I hear a lot of other people talking about and that I'm seeing a lot watching these movies is the focus on eyes or like close-ups on eyes. Um, this, for me, I don't know if this is something I read somewhere and I just retained it or something, but it, it seems like it represents the, uh, the ability to see something, seeing it clearly obviously it's to see something that's what eyes are for but seeing it, seeing, seeing it in your mind's eye the the fact that sam doesn't remember what happened even though he was watching it with his eyes and the uh the fact that they're also so vulnerable like when the killer's looking into that hole that he's cutting through the door and uh, julia comes at him with the scissors and you think it's going to get into his eye but it he gets out of the way in time but just the fact that he focuses on the use of eyes so much and how all his films have something to do with seeing something that you can't quite remember 
or put a put your finger on and so i i don't know if that's where that comparison or why he wants to use the close-ups of the eyes so much or just because eyes are creepy looking well let me um enlighten you on something that i was told by zoe humphreys who i do um podcast 451 with we were talking about fulci and um <clears throat> she brought this up that um i guess it's freud who said this but um when a man is staring at somebody like staring at a woman intently um that's like a very sexual thing whereas the eyes are almost like an erect penis like coming out at you and when you do anything damaging to the eyes like how fulci does in a lot of his stuff um it's a form of castration and um she was talking about because Fulci has a reputation of being very uh, misogynistic and masochistic to his women in his films. But the underlining meaning is probably Fulci was probably impotent or had sexual issues because in all of his movies, he always would like do something like bad to an eye or something like that. Yeah. So that's a whole other side of the eyeball. Um, thing wow look at us we're smart people here <laughs> yeah just just write what comes to my head and well maybe i shouldn't do that maybe that's a bad idea no but the eyes are definitely it's like i was reading something somewhere and it said that both bava and argento um one of the things they liked about cinema is that um your sensory like your the, your eyes, the things that you see can be manipulated by how things are cut, and that's again like an old Hitchcock thing too. But one of the things that both of them apparently liked to play with was the fact that you can see something and not know what you saw, and be unsure about it. And I think at that point too, when you're unsure about something that you've seen it makes you feel a little less than yourself because you, your eyes shouldn't be playing tricks on you like that. Yeah. You know eyes what I'm saying? Meant to be objective and see things for what they are, but it's all in how it translates to your brain. Exactly. And that's one of the things that Argento liked to play with. Yeah, that's you definitely see that And this one, deep red tenebrae for real i mean definitely like suspiria and inferno and and yeah there's more psychological or supernatural films yeah. yeah for real um but also in these and um i don't know it's uh again that's where i kind of want to go to that whole style over substance thing because it's like let's build a movie around someone who sees something and isn't right with it or something like that. And it's almost like when you look at, um, okay, deep red to bird with the crystal plumage, both of them, the guy didn't know he, he kept forgetting some, didn't know exactly what he saw, that something wasn't right. And a lot of it had to do with a painting. The key to unlock it was a painting, you know, and deep red, there's the obvious and, and, um, bird with the crystal plumage. It's this painting that he took. Um, and again, both of them are artists of some kind. You know, he's a writer in Deep Red. He's a, a penis. <laughs> <laughs> and, Pen is um, mightier. Yeah, right? And then in both cases, um, spoiler for Deep Red, if you haven't seen Deep Red, um, it's a woman. 
Yep. And mention that. the woman is uh, constantly trying to destroy the man. And as she takes the form of a man to try to disparage and destroy, you know what I'm saying? So it's like there, um, a lot of these cues keep coming back. And I don't want to say that, um, cause you could say Argento is a hack of himself, you know, like he's like kind of making the same movie over and over again. But, um, I don't know if you would say that, you know, like, I mean, if I sang a song, I would sing it with the same voice, Yeah. you know, so each song I sing is going to sound a lot, very similar, but I don't know if it's the same in this. I, I just feel if like Eli Roth was making like hostile one, two and three, but calling them different things and saying that they weren't sequels. You know, people would finally go, wow, you are not a very good filmmaker. And if Rob Zombie's like, I'm going to make another movie with another bunch of weird backwoods hicks who talk funny and kill people. And um, it's not the same as these movies, you know, like people would start saying like, what the fuck, you know, or if every Wes Craven movie had a nightmare man with knife fingers, you know, like it would start to people would say shit. And that's why I don't understand why no one ever said anything <clears throat> negative about Argento because I mean even in Inferno and um, Suspiria it's someone coming a foreigner to a strange land you know it's like yeah. like all the pieces are the same you know yeah, and yeah. definitely had his his style and it just maybe I don't know if this is because it's kind of coming in between two periods where there were a lot of sequels you had the the universal sequels in the forties. And then after that, there weren't really a lot of movies with sequels that I can think of. Um, yeah, there weren't a lot of part twos until like 1980. And then you get into the slashers later on. So, I mean, they call it the animal trilogy, but that's just because it has animals in the name. They had nothing really that I know of that has to do with each other other than similar plot lines. But I kind of like your, your, uh, analogy of, you know, it's, he's using the same voice, but the melody is a little bit different in each one. Yeah. No, I, I yeah, that's that's right. Because I mean, Deep Red is obviously way more um, fantastical, let's say. Yeah. And then um, Tenebrae is like, uh, it's like Deep Red with the lights on. You know, yeah. it's like <clears throat> we're gonna shoot this in daylight, and every room's gonna be bright fucking white, and everyone's gonna be wearing light colored colored clothes, and it's just gonna be like, like super super bright, you know. But it was like the same story, kinda, you know. Yeah. Um, but I love Tenebrae, and um, one of the things about Argento that I love the most is as after this um, <clears throat> and going into like Deep Red, he starts working with Goblin and um to do his scores and it's just so fucking good i fucking i love goblin i love the goblin scores yeah that's kind of where the switch turned on in his career especially with with deep red starting with that goblin score well what was the other trilogy it's uh i know it's um suspiria inferno and mother of tears what was it called though i think it was just called the mother of tears mother of tears that's right yeah and Wait, because no. it had to do with what was the third movie well, the, called? The last film was called Mother of Tears, but before that it was even the three made sisters or the three mothers. Or was it three sisters? I, I know it has to do with three sisters. I just I, yeah. guess I thought it was the Mother of Tears trilogy. 
Yeah. Yeah, because it, it has to deal with the, each one has to deal with a different sister. I believe. Yeah. We, we could, I don't I don't really consider those movies to be um Jallo at all, but I know right. I mean they're too like supernatural, I think. But yeah. I know they have a lot of the feel. So that's another question up for debate if you feel like um those movies should be classified as that um but i don't know if um you've found this website yet but there's a website called jalloscore.com have you seen this no i have not it is like seriously like the funnest fucking site in the world and i wish i'm gonna hit the guy up and ask him if he could start updating the site more but basically it gives you a mathematical list of things that you have to have in a Jalo film and then gives you a point value for those things and okay. um, all this other shit. And right now, um, and uh, well, Bird with the Crystal Plumage got a score of 90. And um, it's... Out of a thousand? I don't know what it's out of, but um, <laughs> Four Flies on Grey Velvet has the highest score of 93. Okay. Um, Who Saw Her Die was 92. What Have You Done to Solange is 91. Uh, The Red Queen Kills Seven Times has a score of 91. Don't Don't Torture a Duckling has a score of 89. And it it tells you how to score these things so you can actually do the scorings. Um, And what I was doing right before we got on was I went on here and I'm like, shit, if they don't have Bird with a Crystal Plumage, I got to do the math and figure out what the the Jalo score is on it but it's rad like you get points for like having a bottle of J&B you get points for having an Italian director um if you have a number or an animal in the title you get this many points yep you know it's just um it's super fun and I'm just like such a nerd about shit yeah. like that so again that's uh jalloscore.com um and you could it's just such a fun site I'm gonna hit him get up. A banner on his page now. No shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll hit him up. Yeah, the de- the debate I always kind of went over in my mind is if I, I call it a subgenre when I talk about it sometimes on on my other show and and with other people, but can't really be a subgenre. It's almost more just like a style of filmmaking. Like like you said, it has to have certain elements, but maybe Suspiria or Inferno could be a giallo even if it doesn't have some of those set pieces or props if it just has that style or feel to it maybe it would fall into yeah. that but. no I could see because I know a lot of there's some people who say that like Suspiria is one and some people say it's not but yeah. um, you know like let's run it through the, the Jalo score and see what we come up with and maybe I mean because I don't know if again I'm talking about Creeperson cast, but I, uh, I was watching that show Pretty Little Liars, like pretty religiously for a little bit there, because yeah. it's a shit show. It's total like teenage crap, but it's a jalo. It's like the way it goes. It has the black loved killer, the POVs, and the whole thing. And um, so I'm like, wow. And when I found that jalo score site, I took um, uh, Pretty Little Liars and put it in, and tried to add up all the stuff, and it got like a really high score. So um, I just thought that was ridiculous. But if Pretty Little Liars could be considered Jally, then um, I guess Inferno and Suspiria can. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the witches are drinking J&B. Hell yeah. And even in Suspiria, they have the bird with the crystal plumage at the end. The thing that lights up. Yeah. 
You know, have you seen Suspiria? Uh, oh man, when I watched it, I didn't even know, you know, who was, who did it or mm. um, that it was a giallo or whatever. It was just back in the watching, trying to turn through a bunch of movies working at a video store. Yeah. Um, it at the end, if you ever run across it again, there's like a little crystal thingy. Then I won't say what happens, but um, yeah. I know that he's very self-referential. I mean, he's got his own movie called Jallo. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen that? I no, I really had no intentions to see it. Honestly, because... it wasn't as bad as everyone made it out to be when I first watched it. But especially uh, the actors within it. Yeah, it, it's okay. It's it, I mean. <laughs> Adrian Brody didn't want to be associated with it. Well, the deal with that was a legal dispute. He was a producer on it, and he was owed a shit ton of money that he didn't get. So it really didn't have as much to do with him sucking balls in it or um, the movie just being absolutely crap but it There's was no sucking balls in it Damn no it. dude i know right that's like <laughs> that's like three points on the jello score <laughs> <laughs> but um so uh is there anything else you want to say about um bird with crystal plumage i don't think so i think we could put the bird to bed oh that was good was it I, that was a good like one. 10 seconds to think of that let's put the bird to bed yeah so um yeah i i liked it and i think it's um definitely especially if you're brand new to the genre this is a very good one to start with um it it's very simple and stylish um it's pretty cool so yeah it's pretty good yeah and you uh had posted a question on our Giallo Chow Chow group. Oh! Um, asking what film got you hooked on Jelly, and we did have a couple of people say that they're still pretty new to the genre, so um, yeah, you, all you guys... If you give there, me two seconds, I will r- read it off, if we care. Well, this one's from... I have it pulled up. Oh, okay. Pull, yeah, I'm trying to it. be prepared. Right. <laughs> this, one, this one is from Alan Easterling, who said, I'm still pretty new to the genre, so Alan, I'm pretty much in the same boat with you i've seen a couple now um and uh, i definitely recommend birth crystal plumage as a good entry level film which is another reason why i think we wanted to put it here in our first episode and alan's the shit anyway yeah yeah yeah, we got a lot of votes for argento films darian brock saying tenebrae zoe your pal also saying tenebrae and also bird Uh, but torso took her to a whole new love level and then uh, Rachel Grubb, the uh, gorgeous Rachel Yay. said Deep Red. And then uh, we also got Tom who said not a traditional giallo. So he's going outside of Argento saying De Palma's body double is a giallo with a heavy splash of Hitchcock. Which yeah, I could see hand that. In hand. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, and then we've also got Alex who uh, posted a very uh, fitting picture of himself smoking <laughs> a pipe and drinking some J&B. Yeah, he's a big fan of Torso as well. Hell yeah. And then uh, our pal Mike at Bass's Boobs and Body Counts uh, thinks, he's not quite sure, but thinks it might have been Don't Torture a Duckling. And then uh, Josh also chimed in with the film we covered today, Bird with a Crystal Plumage, got Josh hooked on Giallo. So. And then I actually threw something out like 10 minutes before the show. I did get one response uh, on Twitter. 
and Jeff Galleon said that Suspiria was his too. Oh, on that. Didn't scroll down far enough. <laughs> so, yeah, so Jeff's Jeff's got to vote that uh, Suspiria is on his Giallo meter. Well, me and him are gonna have a talk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good. I'm glad someone's talking about that. Right. Yeah, and then uh, I can get my Twitter to load here. I'm in the basement boiler room right now. Oh yeah, we've got David Pat- Patton at composer David saying that the New York Ripper is uh, one of his favorite, one that got him hooked. And he doesn't have enough characters on Twitter to explain why. And, uh, <laughs> that's don't we all have that, that problem? That's Fulci, right? Am I? Yeah, Fulci. That's actually yeah. the, uh, I believe, the first uh, Jello that I ever saw. So that one is, it's got pretty much everything that you threw out on that Jello meter: the black gloves, the the whiskey, the yellow. Yeah. Yellow overtones. The one that um, I found first was um, "Strip Nude for Your Killer." And it's because I was just in a just super trashy grindhouse sleeps movies. And I just went through watching all of the pink movies from Japan, like all like the girl boss gorilla and all those types. And, um, I found, I just ran across strip nude for your killer and I watched it and I was just like in love. And if you haven't seen the last scene of strip nude for your killer, you haven't lived. And, um, it was just so amazing. And so, um, I was like, Oh my God, this is a, a it's a, I think it's called a giallo or something yeah. like, and my, oh. my buddy's like, Oh dude, you got to see Tenebrae. <laughs> and that did it. As soon as that score came on, I was like, I'm hooked, dude. I am do that so right now. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I just, oh, I fucking love that. But um, yeah, so that's what did it for me, dude, for realsies. Yeah. And um, I think the great thing about all these being in this time period is a lot of them are available on YouTube and free sites like that. A lot of them are. I was actually a little bummed out at how many are available on YouTube but are only in Italian. Ah. So um, that kind of... I tried... What did I watch the other day in Italian? I watched um, uh, The Strange Vice of Miss Ward. Um, that's okay. also called uh, Blade of the Ripper. I watched that in fucking Italian just to see if I could like go, yeah, I... I I'm into this. I could, uh-huh. you know, do it. And of course it had, um, Edward Fennec in it. So I'm just like, Oh, you can do whatever you want and I'm fine. But, um, <clears throat> and we will definitely be talking all about her, um, very, very soon. Cause she's in a million of these and, um, she's lovely, lovely. But, um, so on our next episode, uh, we are going to be talking about. Actually, I don't remember what. Oh, what torso, torso. Oh yeah, torso. Yeah, um, the Sergio Martino uh, movie with um, Susie Kendall. She's coming back. Um, She's making a comeback. She, she she made it home okay, apparently. And, um, <laughs> On that plane. She's not a killer yet, or is she? And this movie. Um, spoiler alert i fucking love this movie so um this sounds like a few of our listeners do too oh my god this movie can do no wrong (laughs) so fucking good dude um and it has it has an ending that um is 
irritating but cool at the same time so um as soon as i find it online i will post it up on the jalo chow chow.com site so you guys can watch it i'm sure it's out there somewhere but uh if it's in italian then you'll have to just get out your translators oh my god dude yeah and you said that you said there are sites that you could like translate or you could just download the translation and add it to a video or something yeah so i guess this would be a good uh learning or teaching moment fuck yeah Um, this is something i found out doing a lot of especially older horror films that come out of germany and stuff the silent horror films um well those i guess you don't need subtitles for but (laughs) later the talkies that come out of different countries um you actually will need the video file on your computer, so it can't be like on a YouTube or a streaming site. You'll need to somehow get a video file, download it from somewhere. Yeah, you could use, use a, a YouTube ripper for that. <laughs> yep, there's also software for YouTube ripping. Actually, I think it's just the website, keepvid.com. Um, plug in the YouTube link there, and that will rip the, uh, the actual video file for you. Um, I'm not going to try to endorse too many illicit sources i don't want to get my hand slapped but if you're a person that likes to download movie files but you can't find any english versions of it the uh, easiest way to get subtitles and it's actually pretty easy it's just uh you have your video file saved into a folder somewhere on your computer on your desktop or something and then you give it a pretty simple name just the name of the movie or something like that and then there's actually a lot of different websites where you can search for subtitles for movies. So just type in to the search engine subtitles, um, find some, go to one of the top ones, then in that search engine type in the movie you're looking for and you can find subtitles in any language. So even if you're not one of our English-speaking listeners, you can get it in French or Canadian. What are some other languages? Uh, yeah, and then all you need to do is download that file. It's basically a Word file or a Word document, text document, um, but it's called .srt. That's the extension. Um, it's just a fancy way of saying you can't use this file unless it's for subtitles. So um, what you do is you name that subtitle file you download the exact same name as your movie file, and you just put them both together in the same folder, and your video player should pick those subtitles up and time it. It's all timed and everything. So, so it's timed like in the text file. Yep, they put a little time oh, stamp in the brackets. Oh, that is so brilliant, man. I know. I don't know who these nerds are out there that are doing this, but uh, oh, I love thank them. you so much, nerds. <laughs> and thank you, Score nerd. That's, yes. oh, man, I'm having so much fun. We're, we're nerding out all over the place. We definitely are. We've been nerding out for two hours. Yeah, I know, seriously. So um, to t- kind of wrap this up, hopefully this will be up on iTunes um, by the time you hear this. I already submitted everything, so everything should be squared away that way. But um, just join the group on Facebook and um, go to jalochowchow.com, and that's C-I-A-O-C-I-A-O. Um, for those of you who think I'm doing puppy chow over here with Eric. And... Um, <laughs> Um, and uh, find out and you can get this you'll be able to hear if you're hearing this already you already figured it out so never the fuck mind but um, yeah so in that case um, until next time um, you know get your JMB ready put the cover on your Fiat gas up your Vespa and um, we'll have some fun next week or whenever we do this again I think every two weeks right yeah, you're doing a alternating podcast now. Yeah, we're um, I'm doing the Friday the Thirteenth podcast um, next week. 
So, man. well, I'm just trying to have fun and watching me. Definitely, yeah. It's, <laughs> this has been a blast for me. I can't wait to do it again on torso. Uh, and and we should. I'll put the torso trailer on right now. So the coming attraction for next week. So um, yeah, that'll work, right? Yeah. Okay. Super great. <laughs> so until <laughs> until next time, everybody. Uh, ciao ciao. Ciao ciao. Enter the bizarre world of the psychosexual mind. From Carlo Patti, who brought you Dr. Zhivago, now... Torso. 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 It saturates the screen with terror. Torso. Rated R.